Hey, it's Michael Chapdelaine, and we're here on All Hi, Strings folks, this is Considered. Hi, this is Elliot Fisk, and this is All Strings <laughs> Considered. Helen Sanderson, member of Vida Guitar Quartet, and we're coming back here soon. <laughs> ah, ciao a tutti. Aniello Desiderio. Hi, this is Bruce Holzman. This is All Strings Considered. All Strings Considered. My name is Denis Azavagic. Hi, my name is Eugenia Moliner. We are the Cavatina Duo. We are here at the GFA convention. Having really a blast. I'm Carolina Spinoza. Hi, this, this is, is All Strings, all strings Considered. Considered. I'm Miguel Polito. <laughs> and this, this is, is All Strings Hey everyone, this is Scott Wolf, and by now it's probably no surprise that I'm here to welcome you back to All Strings Considered. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories, and by Audible.com. To get a free audiobook of your choice, go to audibletrial.com slash allstrings. There are over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today, I have a special show for you featuring highlights from this year's Guitar Foundation of America Festival. And there's actually so much great stuff I want to share with you that this is going to be part one in a two-part series. I've also got a great series of conversations and music lined up for this new season with episodes featuring Jason Vio, Cavatina Duo, Adam Holtzman, Bruce Holtzman, Les Frères Meduse, Tantalus Quartet, Michael Chapdelaine, Elliot Fisk, and even an improvised musical called Opening Night. On today's show in three sections, we'll hear a little bit about the past, present, and future of the Guitar Foundation. We'll, of course, hear some music from the prize winners of the Concert Artists Competition and a very unique part of this year's festival, a tribute to one of the great American guitar teachers, Bruce Holtzman. This year's festival was in Louisville, Kentucky, hosted by the University of Louisville and Dr. Stephen Mattingly. Here are a few words from Steve and the mayor of Louisville, Greg Fisher. As a proud Louisvillian, I'm honored to introduce you to my hometown. And at this midpoint in the convention, I bet each of you knows a little more about Louisville's great culture, food, and hospitable people. On the first night, I gave you a little lesson on the correct pronunciation of Louisville. And perhaps it's been improved a bit as you've sampled some bourbons at Dish on Market. Louisville is a welcoming community that's a center for arts and education. And guiding that, is our great mayor, Greg Fisher. The mayor has initiated a program for arts and music with the Music and Arts series at the Mayor's Gallery. He has a vision for improving education, supporting the arts, and building a more compassionate city. And he's here this evening to say a few words about welcoming the Guitar Foundation of America Convention to the city of Louisville. So please join me in welcoming our mayor, Greg Fisher. Thanks everybody, welcome to Louisville. I tell you what, it is a real honor for us to have uh, GFA here in town. Uh, we compete with uh, cities all over the world for groups like this, and it's cool when you have a cool group come to town. It's got a little soul as well, so I have a particular fondness for music. Obviously what you guys know already is, you know, music is the international language. It brings everybody together. You know, it doesn't matter what you look like and where you're from, but you can see people tapping their feet and just focused in on good music anywhere you go. Just a quick commercial for our city, since I know most of you are from out of town. Hopefully you can feel a good vibe here in our city. 
Our, our three big values that guide us are lifelong learning and innovation. And the second is we're a, a healthy city. How can we be healthy physically, mentally, environmentally at the same time? And then the third is, as Stephen mentioned, how can we be an even more compassionate city? Our life should be full of compassion. We should be helping each other, people we know, people we don't know. So the big picture is if you're living in a city that's always learning, that's healthy, and people are helping each other, that's a good place to live. And that's what I'd like to think our city is here. Uh, Zagat named the eight foodiest cities in the world, only one in North America, that's Louisville. And I understand that you all have been experiencing bourbon, that's one of our food groups here. <laughs> As a fun fact, you should know too, that 95% of the world's bourbon comes from Kentucky, and the other 5% is counterfeit, so be careful. <laughs> so it's a foodie city, they have great jobs and tourism. Uh, and then the quirkiest one was when Gentleman's Quarterly Magazine, GQ Magazine, I'm sure we have plenty of subscribers in here, named us the manliest city in North America as well. So I'm not sure what all that means, but to be a real man, you have to be compassionate. Just remember that. All right? So, welcome to Louisville, and hopefully you're having a great time, and move here, or a minimum, come back and visit, okay? Enjoy the show. Thank you. So, the Guitar Foundation of America, which is a bit of a mouthful and will henceforth here be referred to as the GFA, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the classical guitar. They've been around almost 40 years now, and if you already know about the GFA, it's probably because you came across their quarterly magazine called Soundboard, or perhaps attended one of their yearly festivals, which includes their incredibly prestigious competition. I spoke with musicologist and founder of the GFA, Thomas Heck, as well as the current editor of Soundboard Magazine, Kim Perlack, about GFA's humble beginnings, as well as what they foresee for its future. Okay, hi folks, this is Thomas Heck. I uh, have been accused of various things, among which founding the GFA. Um, and um, it's not entirely a false accusation. First issue of Soundboard when they started, they wanted to have a newsletter. It really was a newsletter. And you could see that they stapled it together. It was three pages stapled together. And then, <laughs> was that the first Soundboard? Yeah, it was the first Soundboard. And then when they upgraded, you know, he said you could tell we upgraded in the later 70s because the staples were running down the side. Instead of on the one on the corner, there were several staples on the side, you know. And you could see that. And they, they didn't have enough content, so they just started publishing the names and addresses of all the members so that everybody could stay in touch, you know. And well, the then very simple one of the wonderful things answer is that it was a little bit self-interested on my part after I did my research to dig up our early editions of Giuliani. I had a box full of Giuliani first editions under my bed, as it turned out. Sorry, what do I do with this stuff? I, it took a long time to pull this music together. I wanted to make it available, and I wanted it to outlive me or outlast me at the time, and I was still very young, you know? So I looked around, I couldn't find any libraries that were interested in taking what you would call second-hand material, Xeroxes, photocopies, microfilms. That's, what the way, that's the way you did research back then. I began to ask myself, well, would it be possible to fund some sort of a society or foundation that would begin to collect, preserve, and disseminate the sources of our instruments, you know, music? contribution that a very small group of dedicated guitarists made to... Was Alice Arts. She 
was a member of GFA in the first year, and then she wrote a letter to the editor and mentioned that everyone really loved going to the Toronto Festival and the competition, but it was always every three years. And wouldn't it be great to have a convention once a year in the United States where everyone could meet? And that was the birth of GFA, of the, um, of the convention. One of the first people I talked to, actually, was Andre Segovia. This was an education because he had come to Cleveland to do a concert. Kind of caught him in the hallway afterwards, and I, our mutual language was French, actually, at the, that time. And I told him, uh, I had written to him about uh, this uh, large, you know, work on Giuliani, the, a large collection of music now, what to do with it. I wanted to know if he had any ideas. He said, come to my hotel tomorrow morning and we'll have breakfast and talk. So I did. I showed up downtown Cleveland Hotel. I described what I had and what I was hoping that we could get started for the benefit of the guitar, you know. And he said, Monsieur Heck, he said in his best French, take all that collected music out in the street and burn it. It's worthless. What? <laughs> what? He said this to me. I don't exaggerate. This is exactly what he said. He may have been trying to get my goat, but I think I think what he was telling me was what most of us realized when we heard Segovia play. Segovia was into romantic repertoire and nationalist repertoire. And just like some pianists don't do very well with Mozart, some guitarists don't do very well with Giuliani. He was a uh, Toroba, he was um, an Albanitz, he was, uh, you know, all these uh, things. So he had no love lost for that classic repertoire. And the less he saw of it, the happier he was. So that didn't stop me. But what I, what I did do next was I, I thought, well, let's see whether we can get our foot in the door of a, an academic society. And the only society for string instruments was something called the American String Teachers Association. What they do is they enable teachers at the college level, teachers of violin, viola, cello, bass, to have a professional place to go and give papers and publish, right? So I asked Asta, would you like to have a guitar presence? I met with the board, described, you know, what we could do, and they said, sure, why not? They created a column in their national magazine called the Guitar Forum. And then, would you mind if we convened a national meeting to organize ourselves? And they said, no, go ahead. Little did they know that actually my agenda was to see whether there was any desire to create a separate entity, a 501c3 nonprofit organization for the guitar. It was really fun for me because I had heard stories of that history but hadn't really seen it. And I yeah. think it was powerful to see that it was really such a small group of people who were so dedicated and uh, just did everything they could to keep it going and have kept it going for 40 years. It's not nothing serious. to shake stick at, you know, and, yeah. and it's grown and grown, but still I think retained that sort of level of community that they tried to maintain all the way through and tried to maintain some level of camaraderie, but with a high level of quality, which I think is hard to do. I 
sent around. This was all done by snail mail. I sent letters to all the known and suspected guitar teachers at the college level that I could find. There must have been maybe 50. And I said, hey guys, I got an idea. I found a place in Santa Barbara. It's a dormitory kind of situation with a cafeteria, cheap, I mean, you know, $10, $12 a night. Why don't you come and we'll, we'll have a, an organizational meeting under the auspices of ASTA and we will determine whether we would like to have a nonprofit that is for the guitar to preserve and disseminate the music. I was thinking music at the time. And so they came. People like Sophocles Pappas, Ray de la Torre, Vada Alcott Bigford, Fred Node, all these names of people that have disappeared now. We took a vote. Would you like to do this? And the vote was yes. Uh, you know, a board of directors and an executive committee of three people. Uh -huh. You know, Juan Purcell was one and I was one. And I think a good-natured lady named Marty Port, she said, I'll go ahead and type up the newsletter for you. So she was the first GFA soundboard editor, you know. Uh -huh. Our first issue of soundboard came out, I guess, in January of 74. You know, I had a relative who was a lawyer in, in California, an in-law. He said, you don't want to do something that's for the benefit of its members. You want to do something for the public benefit. Mm -hmm. An arts organization that sponsors concerts, for example, or that provides literature. So we made research grants. They, they weren't much. They were like $50 grants oh, really? to help somebody to make uh -huh. photocopy some stuff uh -huh. or to get to a meeting or something. Uh -huh. And that's when... Gradually, things began to take off. It developed its own momentum and moved, obviously, in the direction of not just a, a scholarly society and archive, but a place that published interesting articles on technique and repertoire and began to sponsor national and then international competitions. It's been, it's been a trip, I'll tell you. So, because the GFA is so well known for Soundboard and for its festival, I think a lot of players are unaware that the GFA is still a great resource for guitar music. Just go to guitarfoundation.org and click the archives link. There's a lot of really well-known music like Lignani, Mertz, and Giuliani, but a lot of what I'm looking at right now I've never even heard of, and it's all free. So if you're not sure about your next piece, the GFA website is a great place to start. pictures of Tom Heck in this presentation from the 1970s and, and Tom is one of the greatest advisors I have with Soundboard now yeah. and so is Richard so we really have that continuity you know it was fun to see sitting in front of me this group of people who have really shepherded Soundboard and really GFA through the last 40 years who I talk to on email every week a lot of fun talking about the future of it as well we're trying to keep the history and the scholarship and a lot and the news and the idea of keeping everyone together. And then we're trying to reflect the differing directions of professionalism in the guitar community. And we want people to feel represented. And so we want there to be a forum for composers to discuss their work and for teachers to discuss what they do. Like yourself, you know, you, you have a performance degree and then you went off and started your own business, your own concept with a podcast where we want to reflect that people who work in technology and recording and community service and 
There's just so many things that we all do, and so many of us do four or five of these things to make a living. And we're just asking people for their ideas. What's the best way we can keep what we love about the soundboard we have and then bring new people in to really reflect what's going on in the guitar community, knowing that we'll have to be flexible as, as everything unfolds. And that's what we're looking at. That's the best nutshell version I can give you. We have an education issue that'll come out once a year to feature school programs and teachers of different levels. Mm -hmm. um, we have a composition issue that's coming out August 15th. We have, our last issue is technique of the year. So my chapter lane is also interested in doing something. And so I think GFA as a convention tries to present very different artists. And so how interesting to have those different perspectives, you know, and then Scott Tennant does his yes. technique workshop. Then you also have the competitors who have spent so much time really refining their chops and their musicality to do this competition. So we want to yeah. try to involve them and how are we going to do that? So there's been a lot of great conversations that way. We're also having an issue next year called Music of Place. So um, we have these two guys from Hawaii. Place? Yeah, like music that reflects different cultures. So one of the lecturers here is a Turkish guitarist and is interested in doing that. We right. have these guys from Hawaii who are interested to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, also all these wonderful classical composers that people don't think about because you think right. about Hawaii, you think about Slack Key, right. which is wonderful. Right. Um, but I'm excited about that. We're doing a chamber music issue as well next year. I'm looking forward to working with everyone on those feature articles. And then we have the history, the performance practice, um, anything that's really geared towards helping people play music from different periods, whether it's through transcription, whether it's through analysis. And then our partner is Soundboard Scholar, which will be the peer-reviewed musicology journal that will start coming out. So if you have something to say on any of those fronts, teaching, recording, community service, chamber music, history, performance practice, or maybe you're a composer who's interested in submitting something to the guitar community at large, you know where to go, guitarfoundation.org. By the way, if you have a lecture prepared, they are currently taking lecture proposals for next year's GFA, and that'll be here in LA, so get on it. You know, the only other thing I would say is that we are really trying to get as many young composers and as much new music and soundboard as possible, and uh, see if we can feature that in every issue yes. for different levels of players, so Lovely. that's what we're doing now. I love it. All right, awesome. thanks, yeah. Scott. Anytime you have classical guitar players get together, you're virtually guaranteed to bump into one of Bruce Holtzman's students. Like the GFA, Bruce's legacy as teacher and director of guitar at Florida State University is in its fourth decade. His students have won dozens of competitions, and he has made an unmistakable impact on the classical guitar world. His former students now hold prominent faculty positions all over the U.S., including Stetson University, University of New Mexico, University of Memphis, University of Texas, Columbus State University, to name just a few. At the special tribute concert at the GFA Festival this year, we saw performances from a small group of Bruce's former students, including Stephen Robinson, Ricardo Cobo, Newman and Altman duo, Tantalus Quartet, his brother Adam, and many more. Sadly, we only have time for an even smaller sample here. But let's start with the Holtzman brothers, playing a duet, amazingly for the first time. If I talk, I'm going to talk about Marvel. So maybe you should... 
talk about mom. You can talk about whatever you want. She's your dad. Well, our mother said, tell them it was all my doing and your father had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Before we start, we have to say an incredible thank you to um, all of the people of the GFA who do such an amazing work at the risk of their own lives every year. If you've never put on a guitar festival, you have no idea of how much goes in to making your life great this week and our lives great. So first of all, Steve Mattingly, incredible host, Martha, Brian, everybody, Helen, all of your helpers, thank you so much. before we start, two, two other quick things. We have to say an incredible thank you to the great Sergio Assad, because what you're about to hear today is a uh, world premiere of a piece called The Holzman's Duet for Bruce and I. Sergio was kind enough, uh, I called him and I said, Serge, Bruce and I are gonna play a duo. Oh, by the way, this is the first time we've ever played together. You should ever. know that as well. Ever. 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 <laughs> the last as well. <laughs> Although I am thinking GFA 2065 would be perfect for it. It's 52 years from now. Wrote an incredible piece, so I hope you all enjoy it. And uh, I think without further ado, right? I, I want to thank everybody, everybody else who's playing on this, uh, playing on this concert tonight, today, now, 11 o'clock. Uh, it was really sweet of them to donate their time this way to, to do this, and uh, I'm really Really, I'm really thankful to them for, for doing that. So. You ready? Yeah, sure.
Let's now hear from one of Bruce's students, Ricardo Cobo, currently chair of the guitar department at UNLV, and actually the winner of the sixth GFA, and also, of course, one of my personal favorites. Boy, I didn't prepare a speech, but I'm just gonna draw from experience very briefly. Adam and Bruce were, are a like family. They were something I, I really had not expected to meet. When Adam came to North Carolina on a tour, it was so impressive to meet him. It was so impressive to listen to him that I, I followed him around and I asked him, I want to go study with, with your brother. And he immediately took me aside and he said, absolutely, let's talk about it. And it became a, an instant friendship. Adam was, was like a brother. He, he opened his doors to me. He let me stay in his house. He gave me advice. I was petrified of playing for Bruce. I thought my pants were gonna come undone. <laughs> so I had never met him when I finally flew down to, to Florida State and Adam put me up in his house. He had a little dog, or a little cat actually. And, and I, you know, I hate cats. <laughs> Absolutely not a cat man. But I, you know, I practiced, we practiced together late at night. He was just awesome. And he said, you know, there are some, some frozen egg rolls in the freezer. <laughs> if you get hungry in the middle of the night. So, my meeting with Bruce was, was fateful. It was un unbelievable. It was, I knew time had changed completely. And I had no idea whether he was going to accept me or not. But the one thing that stands out in my first experience with Bruce is, he took all the time. He took all the time he needed as if there were no end to time that day to listen. And that to me is impressive. He took the time to listen and to quietly ask as, as the hour or two hours went by, everything he needed to ask. They were characterized by just sheer generosity of spirit and absolute commitment to the music. You know, you never felt like their was not enough time. As a matter of fact, he made it a point to extend his lessons well beyond the hour, to take care of every detail, to get under every phrase and every mannerism, every tone color, every meaning that was written on that page. I often remember having really great lessons, like life-changing paradigm shift lessons on Sundays, where he would come out to the campus and meet with us and he would stay. He would stay late into the evening, two, three-hour lessons. He knew when you know there were contests or competitions or auditions, he would make sure that you had covered every inch of the music and every inch of your soul. It was a, a truly uh, beautiful time. And all I can say is, from that that time on, something very, very, un, you know, very overwhelming started to happen. And uh, before I get very emotional, I just want to say thanks. I learned from Bruce what to say, what not to say, and most importantly, to be impeccable with one's word. Thank you, Bruce. So the story with this uh, beautiful little piece I dedicated to Bruce when we were both guests at Michael and Laura's festival in New York City, Tom Humphrey was still alive and had come down to uh, to the city with some very beautiful guitars that had naked ladies painted in the back. It was a gorgeous design and a very unique guitar. 
and we were trying out these guitars in, in the hall and as I began to play them I started to play this piece by Del Armando Reis and Bruce immediately you know I he was really taken by the sound I'm sure of the guitar and the music and he asked me what is that and and I told him it was uh, a piece by Del Armando Reis called Se la Pregunta and uh, we had many fond memories that that night the guitars were exquisite you know and I was playing on this very guitar that I brought to this event in Louisville same 1998 Millennium Humphrey and uh, anyway I was thrilled to be able to do this again and uh, kudos to Bruce thanks so here's Ricardo Cobo playing Se El Preguntar If She Asks by Del Armando Reis from Rick's album of Latin American guitar music on the Naxos label
And lastly, let's hear from the Tantalus Quartet, which includes Lynn McGrath, Christian Anderson, Adam Foster, and Stephen Mattingly. You'll hear Stephen and then Chris sing a few things before they play Chris's lovely arrangement of The Parting Glass, as sung by the Whalen Jennies. Thank you all for being here today at uh, the concert honoring Bruce. And we all have a story and we're going to share a little one. This quartet in the, in the uh, original formation, we were all doctoral students of Bruce Holtzman, formed in Tallahassee. Uh, Chris has a little story to share with you on his first meeting with Bruce. We all, we all have Bruce stories. And uh, everyone has their sort of Bruceism. Everyone has a phrase, you know, a cutting phrase. And just, it's amazing the stuff that comes out of his mouth. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I remember I was thinking about this and I was thinking back, when was the first time I met Bruce? And I was, at the time, a student of uh, Tom Johnson at the University of North Texas, and I uh, was trying to figure out where to go for a master's degree to have some sort of you know, future. Anyway, Tom recommended I go to Florida State and audition for Bruce. And I knew the stories, and you know, I, was, I think I was maybe 20, 21 or something at the time. And so, you know, you, you get a little worried. <laughs> you had met the, the legend, and you hear, you hear about his teaching, and, and how he teaches for, 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 for some people that don't do so well. And so, uh, so I went to Florida State, and I auditioned, uh, and it was fine. I don't remember what I played, but I played like, for him. I think Andrew Jones was there, and there was a couple of them. And I was really nervous and anxious, and I, and I, he'd asked me, so, do you do technique practice? And, and I, I said, yeah, I have two hours a day. Practicing? What? <laughs> for those of you that know, Bruce's office is right in the doorway of this music building, and, and right across is the bathroom, and so I have the bathroom. Go to the bathroom, you know, and, and he, he steps in. It's a small bathroom, and he's just washing his hands at the sink. And, and he's looking in the mirror, and I come around, and I'm trying to think of something brilliant to say, you know, and, and <laughs> to, to change his mind somehow. And, and I look at him, and I say, so, Bruce, um, so, you know, do, do you think you could help me get to the next level? I'm looking at him, he's looking in the mirror. Anyway, so I went to Arizona State. <laughs> but I came back and, and, and did my doctoral with him, and uh, he's just the greatest guy I've ever met. So uh, this this short piece we're going to play is uh, is a beautiful, I hope, a beautiful arrangement. Bruce really likes the guitar to sound good. He likes pretty things, you know. Uh, so hopefully this fits the bill for him. This is an arrangement I did of uh, a traditional tune called the Party Glass. Oh, all the money that ever I spent, I spent it in good company. As uh, as sung by the great Canadian folk uh, singing group, the Wailing Jennings. So hope you enjoy it.
Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Audible.com. And for the listeners of All Strings Considered, Audible is offering a free audiobook download to check out their service. I'm kind of an audiobook fanatic. It's what keeps me sane on those long drives between college teaching jobs. So one good one you might want to check out is Musicophilia, Tales of Music and the Brain, written and read by Oliver Sacks. It's totally entertaining and interesting. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash allstrings. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash allstrings. Okay, the last portion of the podcast today is a few select pieces from this year's International Concert Artist Competition. I've been given permission to play these live selections that you won't be hearing anywhere else, but soon you'll be able to find at least the video of the first prize winner, Anton Baranoff, on YouTube and on the GFA website. Again, because of limited time, I'll be playing excerpt from three of the four top prize winners, Chad Ibison, who won bronze, Artyom Dervoed, who won silver, and our first place winner, Anton Baranov. And I should mention that the fourth place winner, Yu Wang, was also a truly excellent player. The level of artistry and technical ability shown by all the finalists was incredibly high so I certainly don't envy the judges their job. We're going to start with Chad Ibison and work our way to Anton. I'm going to play you two of Chad's pieces. First, an elegant and tranquil andante from Bach's Sonata in E minor, originally for flute and continuo. And then a more contemporary work, the finale of Ginastera's Sonata for Guitar which evokes the Argentine gauchos with its percussiveness and he uses all sorts of cool extended techniques. I think Chad gives this movement of this piece the most convincing sense of groove that I think I've ever heard. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Now let's hear Villalobos' Etude 7 from Artyom Dervoid. He makes great use of tremolo-style three-finger rest-stroke scales that are just blindingly fast throughout this piece, as well as shows you his powerful sound and dynamic range and control. Finally, the GFA International Concert Artist Competition first prize winner, Anton Baranov. I'm going to play you two of the Legnani caprices he chose. Number 28, a very lyrical Largo, and an exuberant, fast, and very playful Caprice number 7. Then a piece I'd never heard before, titled Sonata Number 2 by Eduardo Angulo, which I thought was really lovely. It's a little bit of a longer piece, so maybe hit pause if you've got less than 10 minutes to listen to these. But before I let you go, let me just say thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. Until next time, enjoy the music.
Thank you.